0: That is a um, musical retelling of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, uh, which is what we'll be dealing with this morning. Good morning and welcome to Redemption. Um, This Sunday at Redemption, even though it is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, uh, we are beginning our Advent series that will continue on um, up until Christmas. And we'll actually finish our Advent series uh, with a Christmas Eve Eve Service on the Wednesday night before uh, Christmas, but like I said, we are uh, beginning our Advent series this morning, and here's what we 're going to be focusing on for the next uh, few weeks leading up to Christmas is this: is that Christmas time, uh, we 're all comfortable with fairy tales, we 're all comfortable with uh, tall tales, we 're all comfortable with myths because they are sort of part of our culture and society during this time. Um, when we talk about Santa, and we talk about flying reindeer and elves and all these other things, and so what we want to focus in on over the next few mo- or the next few weeks is this is that the story of Christmas um, is real, it matters, there is a reason for it, and um, it affects us in a very real and in very personal ways. And so that's what we'll be focusing on over the next few weeks. We'll call the series uh, The True Tall Tale, um, Christmas, The True Tall Tale, the, the story of Jesus and the story of Jesus um, coming to earth and, and why that matters and what it's about. Um, like I said, over the next few weeks, we'll be focusing on the fact um, that the story matters. It matters because it's real. And uh, ultimately, it matters because Jesus changes everything. Let's pray as we get started. God, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning. Thank you for this uh, quick reminder um, just of your word uh, presented in this musical way. God, thank you for the fact that we can dive into Matthew even now and continue on in our Advent series over the next few weeks as we celebrate the fact that you came to earth to walk among your people, God, ultimately to be a sacrifice for us. God, I pray over the next few minutes as we dive into your word, as we examine what you would speak to us, um, God, I pray that you would move me out of the way and that you would lift Jesus high. God, I fully recognize that as I stand on this stage, my words are utterly Meaningless, but God, your words, the words that you would speak to us, the words that you would speak to our hearts and minds, God, those words are of utmost importance. And so, God, I pray that we would hear your words. I pray Jesus would be lifted high. I pray that you would bring people to yourself through Jesus. God, I pray that you would simply in, use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of your love, an instrument of the gospel. God, that you might be glorified and that we might receive the joy that you would offer us through that. And God, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Stories matter, right? Stories actually mean something. Someone once said, if you want someone to know the truth, tell them. But if you want someone to love the truth, tell them a story. Jesus understood the power of stories Very clearly, if you go and you look through the Gospels, you will see Jesus over and over using this teaching tool called a parable where he tells a story that has a point that brings the listeners to understand something. Stories have power, and that power is almost unexplainable because the minute you start trying to break down why a story means something, uh, sometimes we sort of lose sight of the story itself and how powerful the story is is. But nonetheless, this, this idea that stories are powerful, they're really innate to our culture. That's not foreign to us. The idea that stories matter and that stories have power, it's really something we all get even though we may not acknowledge it. The, we are we a are society in a culture that's completely enthralled and captivated and surrounded by stories all around us. And just a few weeks from now, Disney is going to make billions of dollars when they release the seventh movie in the Star Wars franchise, right? And there are lots of people in my generation who will willingly fork over lots of money to sit in a theater and see this story of good versus evil in a far, far away place. I don't know if you guys remember this, but the two-minute trailer that came out a few weeks ago, it essentially broke the internet, right? You guys remember that? If you go home today and you turn on the TV, you can turn on something as random as Food Network or HGTV, and the show that you see is going to be a story. It's going to be a story about a house being fixed up. It's going to be a story about somebody trying to win a cooking competition. If you turn over somewhere else, you're, just, you're going to see a story. That's the framework for this media, this technology that, that we all sit in front of on occasion sitcoms a show about how things are made a show about a house being fixed up and restored a show about a cooking competition whatever it is we're all sort of familiar with those stories and if you go home and you log on to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever is the next social media thing that I don't know about what you're going to see is people willingly sharing their stories with one another through that sort of medium and if you go home and you play a video game, you're playing a video game and you're putting yourself into another story, whatever that story is, this, this idea that stories matter, that we love stories, that we want to see stories, that stories have power, it's all around us in our society and in our culture, Stor- stories matter, stories matter. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We just heard a musical retelling of that story. And uh, I'm going to attempt to read it as well because it's God's word. And so if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, it'll be up on the screen again. But this is what the whole passage says The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiod, and Abiod the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliod, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan. Nathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. There's a lot of names there, right? And it's unique that the whole entire New Testament begins with a list of names and with a genealogy of Jesus is essentially what we see there. A genealogy of Jesus that points back to Abraham and to David. And so the very first gospel that we come to in the New Testament, it's a list of names. It's kind of odd. It's kind of unique. But there's a reason for it. And we'll get to that in just a second. Christmas is a true tall tale. A tall tale is a story with unbelievable elements related as if it were true and factual. Right now there's a commercial on TV that you may have seen where there's a fisherman on a dock and he's recounting this story of how he spent hours and hours and hours reeling in this fish and all of a sudden it cuts and you get the reality of it and his buddy walks up with a little bitty fish And ask him, where do you want this fish to go? And he goes, in the cooler, man. Whatever it is. That's a tall tale when fishermen tell tales about the size of the fish that they caught. I remember back to when my oldest daughter, Natalie, was two. Uh, She's nine now. When she was two, uh, the day after her second birthday, our um, youngest daughter was born, Laurel. And when um, Natalie was born, a family member, I don't remember who it was, gave... Natalie this little bitty stuffed cocker spaniel um, That was uh, like a blonde buff colored cocker spaniel toy, right? And at the time uh, Amy and I we had a we had a cocker spaniel named Jacob And so naturally this stuffed animal that was given to Natalie was named baby Jacob It's not real creative, but it works, right? And so when Natalie was little and even to this day There's nothing that Natalie loves more than to be on the beach when she was little, she did things differently than she does now. But she loves to be on the beach. She loves to be in the waves. She loves to dig in the dirt. I've, I've never understood the fascination with carrying around a bucket of sand. But my kids love it, right? They love digging in the sand. And so when Natalie was little, I can remember being in her room at night, and we would be reading stories, and we would be reading books. And uh, we would run out of books that she wanted to read. And so I would make up stories. And so I got to the point to where my go-to story was, because I'm not very creative and I had to have like a story in, the, in my pocket for when I needed it. My go-to story was the go-to story of baby Jacob going to the beach and doing all the things that Natalie loved to do on the beach at the, t- at the time. It was, a, it was a tall tale. It was a story that was relayed as if it was factual, but obviously, right, her baby, didn't, her baby Jacob didn't come to life and go to the beach. It obviously wasn't, true but what we find beginning in Matthew chapter 1 with the story of Jesus it's not just a tall tale it's not just something that somebody made up it's not just something that you read to be entertained what we find here is a story that is not based in reality but a story that is reality and that's what Advent really is it's a it's a story that, that teaches us the reality and tells us the story, uh, the reality of Jesus coming to earth. This story doesn't begin with once upon a time. The story doesn't begin in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. It starts with a tie to two very historical promises that God made to real people the beginning book of the New Testament the beginning book of the story of Jesus is not actually where the story begins and Matthew reminds us of that in the very first verse when he says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham and so from the very beginning of the story of Jesus coming to earth and the very beginning of Our focus on Advent here, we're reminded that the story of Jesus begins thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years prior to where we pick up in Matthew chapter 1. In Genesis 22, we have the story of Abraham and Isaac and Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac. And instead, God provided a lamb for Abraham to sacrifice in Isaac's place. It's a story that points us to Jesus. And we find these verses in Genesis chapter 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, "By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God promised Abraham that through his offspring the entire world would be blessed. Matthew reminds us of that in the very first verse. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the prophet Nathan is speaking to David and he's speaking on behalf of God, and he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God promised King David a descendant that would sit upon his throne forever. And that promise finds fulfillment in Jesus. So right here at the beginning of Matthew, Matthew Chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew takes us back to Abraham, he takes us back to David, and he reminds the readers, he reminds us that what is happening here is something that's real, it's true, it's factual, it has an anchor in history. And God, through Jesus, is bringing about these promises that he made to Abraham and to David hundreds and hundreds of years before. Matthew isn't writing a Christmas fairy tale. We're all comfortable with fairy tales at Christmas, like I said, but Matthew is writing a real story about a real God with ties to history that came to earth as a man who was historically connected to real people, who's affected real people then and continues to do so today in very real ways. In fairy tales and tall tales, people have to step outside of time and earth and death in our world to make the story work. In tall tales, belief has to be suspended. The laws of physics and nature have to be bent. Reality has to be skewed for the story to work. I mean, think Lord of the Rings or Ted, a movie that I haven't seen, but a story about a stuffed animal come to life, or Star Wars, or Sleeping Beauty, or Beauty and the Beast, or whatever. But in this true tall tale, in this true tall tale of Jesus, it doesn't work by having to step out of reality. It works because Jesus steps into history and makes his presence a reality. If you think about the story of Jesus, a a man who resists evil, raising children from the dead, calming the storm, making food multiply, healing the sick, casting out demons, rising from the dead himself, this sounds like just another great story, like another tall tale. It sounds sort of like a myth. But the story really happened. It involved real people It affected real people. It was witnessed by real people. And it still affects real people today. The story matters greatly. And so I don't want you to miss this as we move through this Advent story, as we move through this Advent series even as we continue on through this passage this morning I don't want you to miss that in a culture that values stories the Christmas story the story of Jesus the story of the gospel is the most valuable story there is it means the most it has the ability to affect us the most and it matters because it's true Because it's about Jesus. And because Jesus changes everything. Don't miss that this story doesn't start like a fairy tale, like a myth. It starts with real people and it matters. Let me give you an example just in this passage here. How this story matters. In Jesus, God fulfilled his promises... God promised he would send a Savior. And Jesus was that Savior. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise. And his salvation and his grace matter in ways that we uh, may not even be able to fathom. If you look through this genealogy of Jesus, you see names that are familiar to you. Names like David and Abraham and Solomon. And depending on how familiar you are with the Old Testament um, story. You see names of kings that followed David and, uh, and Solomon. You see names of people that mattered to the history of Israel who, who, who changed the course of Israel's history in some ways. You see the names of kings. You see the names of saints. You see the names of sinners. And we see something really unusual in this genealogy that's uncommon um, for this period of time. You see the name of five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. In verse number three, Tamar is mentioned. In verse number five, Rahab and Ruth are mentioned. In verse six, the wife of Uriah, whose name was Bathsheba, is mentioned. In verse 16, you see Mary mentioned, the mother of Jesus. Why is that unusual? Well, here's the purpose of a genealogy during this period of time, in this culture, in this uh, societal setting. In this particular point in history, um, a genealogy was someone's credentials. Today we might call it your resume. This was a culture that wasn't necessarily individualistic in the sense that what you had accomplished mattered. What might have mattered more was where you came from, who your family was, who your people were, what group you originated from mattered much more. In our culture and society, we want to know about your education, about your experience, what schools you attended, what skills you might have, what knowledge you have, what you have accomplished, what you can bring to the table based on what you know or what can do. And in some way, what Matthew is giving us here is Jesus's resume to a society that cared way more about the group that you came from than about what you had actually accomplished. Our society is individualistic. But this culture is much more group-based, much more family-based. And so, for us, when we write a resume, we want to we say things that make us look really good. We want to say things that make us look like, you want to hire me because I can do this and I can help you and whatever it might be. You would list people in your genealogy that you were proud of. You would list people in your genealogy that um, meant something and that mattered. What's unique about this is that we know from history and from society that this culture that Matthew has written into, this period of history, was a very patriarchal time. It's a, it's a society and a culture built way, way more around men and, and men had power in that culture. And yet Jesus' genealogy includes five women and, I, and they're obviously there for a purpose, right? We have to understand that about Scripture. Uh, the words that are given to us in Scripture aren't there by chance. God intended them to be there, and he's prever- preserved those words for us. And so we have these five women listed. And, and if you start taking a look at the names of these women here, I think you begin to notice some interesting things. Um, Ruth. Uh, you know, if you know that story from the Old Testament, Ruth was not Jewish. She was a Moabite, um, So what you have is a non-Jewish person being listed in a Jewish person's genealogy. It's unusual. Rahab, if you remember the story from Joshua chapter 2, Joshua had sent some spies in uh, to figure out um, what to do and they encountered um, this woman named Rahab. She was a Canaanite and she helped the Jewish spies who were in scouting out the land. And, uh, and, And she was not Jewish. And furthermore, she was a prostitute. We, we know that from, from Scripture. And, and so this person that's a Canaanite and a prostitute is listed in Jesus' genealogy. There are two women right off the bat that are listed here that, that weren't even Jewish. And yet they're part of Jesus' genealogy. They were, they, they were women that would have been marginalized um, racially and ethnically because they weren't Jewish during this period of time. Tamar, that's another name on the list... Uh, Tamar has an interesting story. Um, it's it's kind of a it's a weird story, um, but she was a woman who had two husbands. Both of her husbands died because of their wickedness, and uh, she was left without any kids. And she was sort of left on her own. And so what Tamar had to do um, was she dressed up like a prostitute in order to go and have um, sexual relations with her father-in-law, so that she could have kids. And so by the letter of the Jewish law, what she did essentially was she committed the sin of incest. And so I want you to get this. The women listed here on Jesus' genealogy were gender outsiders. They were racial outsiders. They were moral outsiders. And and, and just these three women, because of these things, the Mosaic law would have excluded these women from temple and tabernacle worship. They wouldn't have been able to uh, worship fully like a a Jewish person would who had not... um, sort of encountered these who who didn't have the same story. But Jesus, even by the recounting of his genealogy through the book of Matthew, through Matthew writing this book after Jesus was, was gone, Jesus changes the categories. Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus, in a sense, just through his very genealogy, accepts... These women, he, he brings them in. He's proud of them. They're part of his resume. They're part of his credentials. They're part of who he is. And in the very first book of the New Testament, the lead-in to all of the New Testament, right off the bat, we see that Jesus changes the categories. Jesus starts changing things. Jesus starts turning the world upside down. And the story matters because of that. And so while we're pointing things out, notice that Matthew doesn't call Bathsheba the wife of David. Matthew doesn't call her Bathsheba. Matthew calls her the wife of Uriah. By using Uriah's name, Matthew is forcing us to remember the whole story of David and Uriah and Bathsheba. Do you remember the whole story? David was, um, was looking down over the city and he sees this um, person named Bathsheba and he wants to be with her and so he brings her in and they're together and the, he's got a problem because he has to get rid of Uriah's Uriah, her husband and so he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle to have him murdered and get him out of the way um, so that he can continue on and not, um, not have any trouble. We're, we're forced to deal with the whole story of David when Matthew writes the wife of Uriah. We're forced to remember that David, who any Jewish person would want in their genealogy, right the greatest king of Israel, the king who did the most, the king that was closest to the heart of God, we're forced to remember that he was a murderer and an adulterer. And he used his power to get his way Matthew is forcing us to come to terms with the fact that David had no more right to God's grace than anyone else. David had no more right to be whole before God than does a prostitute or a lady that had um, committed incest because of the circumstances that she were put in or any religious outsiders or whatever. The very genealogy of Jesus points to the fact that neither sinners nor kings get to relate to God based on their innate goodness or their outward sin either. Goodness doesn't make you right with God. The prostitute and the king are equally lost before God, equally saved by God's grace, and equally loved by that same God. Right? Don't miss the implication of this. It's just a bunch of names, right? It's just a genealogy. It's just a bunch of names from the Old Testament. It's not. It's not. Even through his genealogy, Jesus is turning the categories upside down. Yeah, there's kings mentioned. And yeah, there are some people who did some really bad things. Not just these women. There are other men listed on here who who did some stupid stuff. Solomon being one of them, right? But Jesus through his very genealogy, turns the story upside down and says kings and prostitutes alike equally have access to God through Jesus. They're equally loved by God and equally saved by God. Don't, don't miss the implication of this, okay? It really doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've come from. The only place you get an identity, a name that lasts is through Jesus. We just read and heard about names that are thousands of years old. And you know what? People will be reading those names until this earth no longer exists. Why? Because they're connected to Jesus, because they have an identity through Jesus, because Jesus changes all the categories. Grace, the gospel, is the great leveling field for us all. Jesus turns the world on its head. Christmas, Jesus should remind us very clearly of this. It should remind us that we're all equally lost. This genealogy of Jesus, even a recounting of names of where Jesus came from, should remind us that we're all equally lost. We're not good or bad. We're lost or we're found. It reminds us that if God has called us to be His own, we're all equally saved by God's grace and by God's grace alone. It reminds us that we are all equally loved before God through the work of Jesus alone. If we come to know God as our Father, then we get to have Jesus as part of our genealogy. Jesus becomes our credentials, Jesus becomes our resume when we get a name from Jesus. When we find our identity in Jesus and Jesus alone. The story of Jesus matters. The very genealogy of Jesus matters. Because Jesus changes the categories. Grace changes the categories. And through Jesus, God calls us to be his own. Despite our sin. Despite where we come from. Despite how good we are. And how religious we are which oftentimes gets in the way of coming to Jesus way more than our sin does. But despite how good we are, despite how bad we are, through Jesus, God has called us to be his own. The story of Jesus coming to earth matters. It matters because God did what he said he would do. He fulfilled his promises to David. He fulfilled his promises to Abraham. It took a long time for those promises to come true. It took hundreds and hundreds of years. Abraham didn't see it happen. David didn't see it happen. For 400 years before Jesus came, God was silent. And there were no prophets. There was nobody speaking to the nation of Israel. And they probably thought God's promise wasn't going to come true. It took a long time. But God did what he said he was going to do. He fulfilled those promises in Jesus. The story of Jesus coming to earth, Christmas, the advent, it matters. It matters. Because it's the story of God doing what he said he would do. It matters because the story is not a fairy tale. The story doesn't work because belief has to be suspended in order to step out of time and space and death for the story to work. The story works because Jesus stepped into time and space and death and made a true tall tale, a true story. It matters because Jesus takes earthly categories and he flips them on their head. He takes kings and warriors and puts them on the same level as prostitutes and outsiders. And he takes prostitutes and outsiders and puts them on the same level as kings and warriors. And then he takes all of those people who would come to him and elevates them something to something far greater than they could ever be on their own. He elevates them to be part of his family To be part of his genealogy. To be part of his lineage. For God to be our father. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says this. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Jesus changes all the categories. Jesus invites kings and warriors and prostitutes and outsiders to be part of his family. Jesus changes everything. So why does any of this matter, right? Why does any of this matter? Or, or another way of putting, or I guess another way of saying that is, what does that mean for us right now? What does that mean for you right where you're sitting? Well, first off, it's this. Um, it's that God, through Jesus, has made a way for you to be right with him, To be rightly reconciled to him. And to be a part of his family. If you're not part of God's family. If you don't know what that means. If that even sounds weird. I get it. But we want you to know Jesus as your savior. We want you to be a part of God's family. And so if that's something you want to know more about. Or understand more about. Please grab me and let's talk about it. Right? Let's talk about what that means. Um, but that's the call on your life. That's the call from God's word is to be a part of God's family because Jesus has provided a way for you to be connected to him. So I'm calling you to be part of God's family. That's the first call this morning for you guys. I'm calling you to speak this story to one another. As we go through this Advent series, as, as we go through Christmas, as we look toward Christmas when Santa's going to bring us all gifts, I'm calling you to not focus on those things. I'm calling you to focus on the story that's real and that matters. I'm calling you to speak the story over one another in your families, in your homes, in your missional communities, with your spouse, to your kids. Let's talk about the story that matters. The story of Jesus making a way for us to be part of his family. I'm calling you to remember the story, to recount the story, to talk about it, to speak it. And I'm calling you to speak the story to those around you who may not know that this story matters. I'm calling you to speak this story into your neighborhoods, into your schools, into your jobs, into your friendships, wherever it may be that God has given you influence if this story is true, and I believe it is, if the story matters, I believe it does, then we need to recount the story and tell the story to those around us. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter who your family is, it doesn't matter what skills you have, Jesus has provided a way for us to be rightly connected. To God because he came to earth he lived a perfect life and ultimately he died as a sacrifice for our sins the story matters it matters more than anything so I'm calling you to be a part of God's family I'm calling you to speak the story to one another I'm calling you to speak the story to the world around us because the story has power and it matters we're going to enter into a time of response like we do every uh, Sunday here at Redemption. And um, here are some ways that you can respond during our time together. Um, number one, um, the band's going to come back up in just a second and continue to lead us in some songs and give us the opportunity to continue to worship through singing uh, by focusing our uh, affection on God through those songs and um, and worshiping in that way Uh, during this time we also have an opportunity to worship by giving there's a giving basket in the back so if you're part of the redemption church family i would encourage you to give as an act of worship um, as god has called us to do Uh, during this time we have an opportunity to continue to respond by sitting where you are reflecting on maybe what god is speaking to your hearts and minds this morning um, about this story Uh, That matters and also this morning during this time we have the opportunity to respond um, Through communion Uh, the reason we do communion Every uh, Or the reason we celebrate communion quite or every sunday here at redemption Is because communion is a visible means for us to proclaim to one another That we believe the gospel that we believe that god did what he said he was going to do And it's a way for us to remember what christ has done for us So if God gives you the freedom to do so, uh, it does not matter whether you're a member of redemption or not. We invite you to come and take communion and remember what Christ has done and participate in proclaiming that we believe it, um, that it's true. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll move on from there. God, thank you for the reminder from your word this morning um, that you have acted on our behalf, that you have stepped into history and that the story of you coming to earth matters God because it's real because you changed everything and you gave us all an opportunity to be related to you through Jesus God I pray even now as we respond that you would continue to draw us to you that you would remind us of how great your grace is that you would remind us that in you There's an opportunity for us to find peace and to be reconciled to God. And Holy Father, I pray as we um, respond, as we worship, that you would continue to be at work, that you would continue to call us to yourself, uh, even as Jesus is lifted high. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.